0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Physical nourishment. That was the point the disciples were getting to when they met with Jesus. Now, before we go much further, I should give you just a little bit of background as to what was going on. In chapter 4 of John, you have the disciples who have been traveling with Jesus. Most of them, for the most part, were disciples of John the Baptist before, but now they've been following this itinerant preacher and miracle worker by the name of Jesus. And as was the common practice, they would go from Judea up to Galilee, or Galilee back down to Judea. And the way that they would do this is they would, you would either go all the way around an area known as Perea or you would go straight through. However, the practice of the day was this, that most of the folks living in the southern kingdom of Judea would go all the way around and leave Samaria going up to Galilee. Now, they did this for a very important reason. Back in 722 B.C., The Assyrians had taken captive what was then known as the northern kingdom of Israel. They took them captive, took them back to Assyria, and then later repopulated that area not only with Jewish folks, but with captives from all over the world. And because of this, the land became filled with different cultures and different religious practices. So the more purist model who was down in Jerusalem, the group of folks, said, look, this group of people up here have an admixture that we're not comfortable with. They're no longer pure. They no longer worship down here. And so we will go all the way around. They sort of had spiritual cooties, if you will. Now, here's what I like: They had even built on Mount Gerizim in this area of Samaria a temple that would rival the one in Jerusalem. In fact, this whole scene takes place at the bottom of Mount Gerizim at Jacob's well. But here's what I notice about Jesus. Jesus is not afraid of people with spiritual cooties. In fact, this room is a testimony to that fact, isn't it? If God were afraid of people who had bad reputations and not so pure a background, we would all be in trouble. So they went through. And the disciples, it was about noon, the disciples said, look, we've got to get something to eat. So they went into the town of Sychar to get some food. So Jesus is sitting out there in the midday and he meets this woman at a well who was not very popular. She had a lot of stuff going on in her life. And he speaks to her about the living water. In fact, he tells her so many things about her life that she's blown away and wonders if this could be the Messiah. And she is so astonished that she runs back into town to tell the people about this man, Jesus. Meanwhile, it says in verse 31... His disciples came saying to him, Rabbi, eat. Just like the disciples, we go about our daily lives engaged in the process of living, don't we? But at this point, Jesus seems to always interrupt our routine with his heavenly values, pointing us to his greater purposes. Look at verse 32. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know about. Now here's the point. The higher eternal purposes of God are always greater than any of our temporal, earthly circumstances. They're always greater and higher. But here's the response of the disciples. And I love it. It's very telling, and it's a beautiful, gracious peek into the real relationship of Jesus and His followers. Listen to what they say in verse 33. Therefore... The disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Now, you would think by this point, they would be a little bit sharper thinking, Oh, okay, wait. I think he's going to pull one of those spiritual things. Listen up. But they weren't that quick. It was noon. Everybody was hungry. And the first thought is, Well, who brought him something to eat? Well, you know, I wouldn't have brought this extra sandwich. I wouldn't have spent the extra money if I would have known he had food. Who brought him food? But Jesus is going to take this opportunity... To teach them something that is very valuable about eternal food. I grew up in a church that ate all the time. In fact, that's all we did. In fact, we called it dinner on the grounds and we would always eat out in the fellowship hall. How many of you grew up in a church like that? Well, my mom told me a story of a lady from that era. And she said, there was three ladies on their way to church. They were going to a Bible function together. And they got in a car accident and they all died. But the good thing is they all knew the Lord, so they went up to heaven. And as you can guess by now, this is one of those St. Peter jokes, okay? Well, anyway, (laughs) they get up to heaven and St. Peter is sort of acting like a border guard. And he says to the first lady, ma'am, do you have anything to declare? And uh, she said, well, sir, I have this Bible. And he said, okay, good, you can go on in. He came to the second lady, and he asked her, ma'am, do you have anything to declare? And she said, well, I have this whole set of rosary beads. And he said, okay, well, you can come on in. And then he came to a lady who happened to be from my hometown in my own church, and he asked her, he said, ma'am, do you have anything to declare? And she said, well, I've got this covered dish. (laughs) Okay, you responded a little better than the 8 o'clock. Look, our view is primarily always earthly. And we have brief glimpses into the eternal. But there's a reason why. If you want to keep your finger here in John and look with me over in Isaiah 55, we'll read why. Isaiah 55, and look with me down at verse 8. Here's a best explanation that I can think of or know of. He says in verse 8, For my thoughts... Are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, we're just like the disciples. Um we sometimes forget who we're talking to and what world that we live in. Now we understand and know a lot of things about Jesus. If you know your theology, you'll know that he is known as the Uh, The theanthropic nature of God. And that is, He is fully uh, God as well as fully man. And so as He walked around here on the earth, He was fully a man, yet He was fully God. But sometimes the disciples, as well as ourselves, we forget who we're talking to. Sometimes we might even take Him for granted. But I love what the Lord does. He is ever always faithful to take us higher, setting our minds on things above. Keep your finger in John and look with me at Matthew chapter 6. He gives even greater explanation here. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Skip with me down to verse 31. He says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all of these things... The Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this is what he is not saying. He is not saying that it is wrong to eat. In fact, he was the one who put Adam and Eve in the garden, a place to eat. He is not saying that it is wrong to eat. He is saying life is more than eating. He's also not saying that it is wrong to have clothes. In fact, I'm very thankful that every one of you here has clothes on as well as I know you're thankful that I have clothes on as well. He's not saying that it's wrong to have clothes. He's He's saying that life is more than having clothes. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, seek God's kingdom first. And my friends, this is the real key to life. Because all the food in the world, all the clothing, all the shelter, all the provisions that this life has, without first seeking the source of everything leaves life cast in a very dim shadow, never completely fulfilling our purpose as human beings. God's kingdom has to be first on the list. Now back to John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 34. We've talked about spiritual or physical nourishment. Let's look at spiritual nourishment. Verse 34, Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In this, Jesus reveals to us His meal of choice. And His meal of choice is this. Doing the will of the Father, finishing His assigned task, was His real spiritual nourishment for Jesus. And here's the point. Every person living, I mean every person on this planet, Gains nourishment and inspiration from their passions and their pursuits. Every person, every one of us has something that energizes us. Let me ask you a few questions here. What is your passion? Or where does your passion lie in your life? What turning your engine? Or what are you at the core of your being? And many of you right now, I see the stunned looks like, huh, what? Maybe you've never even thought about that. Some of you who have been through some type of course, maybe that uh, works you through this process, maybe a workshop, you've thought through it. But for many of you, you've never even thought about it. Well, let me give you just a few questions that can help narrow this down in your life. In fact, if you have a pen, I'd like you to write them down or make a mental note because your assignment for this week is to work out and ask through your daily activities these four questions. First question, what activity takes up most of my time? Now, if you're saying work, I know that's probably not your passion. But what activity takes up most of your time? Secondly, what is the predominant thought in your mind? Where is your mind throughout the day? What are you thinking about? What are you constantly running through that brain of yours? And then third, what do you dream about? Now, I'm not talking about when you're asleep. That's kind of, depending if you have nightmares, not very good. But what do you dream about? And this is what I'm saying. When you're sitting out on your front porch or you're out on the lake and you begin to imagine what the world could be like if only. If only I had my way, this is what the world would look like, at least for my life. And then finally, your hobbies are very telling as well. The very sad words of Ralph Barton, one of the top cartoonists of our nation's, left this note pinned on his pillow just before taking his own life. He said, I have had few difficulties, many friends, and great successes. I have gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. It tells us a very sad but real point. And that is, many of the pursuits that this life offers in the end leave us wanting and without any real sense of clarity, any real sense of meaning. And the desperation still remains even though we fill it up with all that we have in this world. Now, Jesus is our supreme example. He will always stand for us, the real standard for humanity he being God came to earth lived as a man and what he did was preparing a way for us as salvation but even more than that he has prepared for us a line a standard of how mankind can live a real example let's look to his early life and you might find it in the book of Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 41, we find that Jesus and His family, along with probably a delegation from His community, had gone up to Jerusalem for the time of Passover. He was 12 years old, and after the feast, they had gathered as a group and began to leave the city. Well, the caravan had left the city, and about a day's journey away, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And they said, Where's Jesus? And so they had to travel a day back to Jerusalem, and then they spent another day looking for for him. And then after three days, you find in verse 48 these words, When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. We're stressed out. Come on. And he said to them in verse 49, Why did you seek me? And why did you not know that I must be about my father's business. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. His passion, even from an early age, was doing the will of his father. Later on, as he began his ministry, we see him... Teaching, we see him preaching, we see him ministering, discipling, we see him doing miracles. And then finally, at the very end of his earthly life here, we see him hanging on a cross. And we hear these very telling words in John chapter 19. And I'll begin in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The word that is used there is tetelestai. It means not only that it is finished now, but the abiding result that it will always stand finished And completed. This was the passion of Jesus Christ. He said, my food, my real eternal sustenance is to do what God has called me to do. And my friends, at the end of his life, what do you hear? Hanging on a cross, you hear, it's finished. As if to say, I have not left one thing undone. A question for you and me, what do you want to be able to say at the end of your life? Right now, I'm sure if I were called to be home, good to go home, and I knew that I had a few hours to live, I would first of all be relieved. (laughs) But then I would think of all the things that I had left undone. Let me make a clear statement here. You and I are creatures. We gain our worth from our Creator. You can never separate our worth from our Creator. None of us were created out of our own accord. We exist primarily at the will of the living God. And if we reject in some type of autonomous way his leading, and his plan for us, we negate the very purpose for our existence, thereby negating also any chance of us having a fulfilled, completed life that will enable us at the end to say, it is finished. And we move on to the next stage of our life and we meet our heavenly Lord and we hear those very Loving words that we hope to hear and that is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. But we want to be able to say it is finished. All right. Now, you ask, this begs the point here. How do I find God's will for my life? Very simple. I'm going to give you four simple things. First of all, you need to read his book. It's a bestseller, very popular. We have a lot of them in our bookstore. In fact, you can get it in very nice leather, which I would recommend, saying that it is probably a lifetime investment. But he gave us a written record of what he has to say to humanity. We don't have to grovel and seek something in the raw ether of the air. We have real written records from God. Second of all, you need to listen And learn. I love what Jesus said when he was being tempted by Satan. After fasting for 40 days, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Take every opportunity you can to be in Bible study. And I would say, here's the best way to do it. Find some believer who is just a few more miles ahead than you. Buy them coffee, bribe them with pie, whatever it takes. Get them to sit down and spend time with you and learn how to follow Christ. Learn how to be a disciple. It's imperative. And then thirdly, you need to stay open. And this is what I mean. God may have a different plan for you, lo- for your life than you do. My plan for my life was to be a very famous rock star with long locks of hair. Probably a couple inches taller, a little more statuesque, maybe a different kind of profile, I don't know. (laughs) And I had hoped to render him worship someday at the Grammys and say, look everybody, it's not me, it's him. Wouldn't you love some kind of plan like that? But his plan was much different for me. And you know what? He has a very practical, real plan for each one of us. And it involves right where you live, right in the family that you come from, right in the street that you live on, right at the workplace where you go every day. His plan involves something right in there. And you need to be open to it. And then fourthly, you need to get involved in the work. You've got to start somewhere. Which takes us to our third point In this passage in John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 35. Spiritual food for spiritual work. Every believer that enters into the work of the kingdom. Must be fueled by a passion to do what God has called him to do. Spiritual work. Here's the point. Requires spiritual nourishment. Let's look at verse 35. He says, Do you not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, I grew up in a farming community. In fact, I used to talk just like this. They make you talk like that when you're on a farm. In fact, when I go back to town, I gotta disguise myself and go back to it. Well, it's not a bad thing, by the way. If if that's your, um, uh, word. I'm sorry, I just got totally blown off by that. Okay, let's get back on the on the study here. During farming season, you have a planting season and you have a harvesting season, and the harvesting season is the most intense period of time and it is very short during the harvest season you get out to the field before the sun comes up and you go home long after the sun has gone all the way down and every meal that you eat during that period of time has a very unique purpose helping you through the next six to eight hours. And so every meal that I would eat out in the field had great purpose to it. Not only did it give me a chance to stop, but it gave me the nourishment that I needed to finish the task. Now think about this. We are living in a period of grace, and a period of the gospel here on the earth. But one day, things will happen, the sky will break, and it will end Abruptly and we are living in a time that is full of harvest now jesus in speaking to his disciples was referring to the fact that he had spoke to this woman and shared the gospel with her and she had begun to bring her friends and they were coming out from the city and he told his disciples behold look at the fields they're white for harvest and i say to you behold look at the fields around albuquerque they are white for harvest I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, The glory of God, and as our only means of glorifying Him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of heaven. I want to leave you with three little points, but they're very pregnant thoughts. First of all, in order to... Engage in the harvest. You need to be available. First and foremost, you have to avail yourself before the living God and say, Lord, I am available to do what you've called me to do. I will gladly enter into this field, enter into this task, wherever you send me, but I am available. Second of all, you need to be prepared. And that is, you need to be listening, you need to be reading, and you need to be on your knees daily in constant communion with the Lord of the harvest, in constant communion with Him, knowing what He has to say, so that when He speaks to you, you are ready to move and to do what He calls you to do immediately, being prepared for the work. And then finally, I want to say to you that this must be a daily commitment moment by moment. And this is what I mean. When you get up in the morning, your first thought is, Oh, Lord, thank you for another day. I know that you will send me out into your field. And so I pray that you would give me success today. That you would give me favor in the place that I work, with my family, with my friends. And Lord, I want your will to be done I want to see your will done in my life. And I desire it more, Lord, than food. Than my own food that I eat for my body. I desire what you want in this earth. And my friends, if that's the way you live, you're going to be pretty happy. All of the other things in life will take care of themselves because you have placed the itinerary of heaven Before your face. And when you're done, you will walk away from the field and say, It's finished. I'm going home. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.